Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at The Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here today. So today's conversation is with a fellow I've only recently met, actually. Um, but, you know, I've got to say, he's quite impressive, this fella. His name is Hugh, Hugh Evans. He's co-founder and CEO at From Here On. That's a business called From Here On, a business design consultancy supporting business and technology transformation. He also has a great passion in supporting the rise of new leaders who are driven by a strong vision and ambition to create change for a better, more collaborative world. And uh, this is, it's a bit of a wheelhouse, I think, for, I know it's a wheelhouse for you. Certainly from my point of view, Hugh, I love having a chat around those, those sort of broad subject matters. So Hugh, welcome to the Sales Conversation. Thanks, Russ. Great to be here, mate. It's really good. Now, I'm going to go right into the hard stuff, straight up, because I know you've you got a big, fat brain. <laughs> so I thought I'd say, okay, I've noticed, actually, uh, in the press lately, um, Facebook, as we know, they've changed their name to Meta, but they've actually started advertising. Have you seen that? They've started doing full-page press ads, and the, and the full-page press ads are from a company called Meta. Yeah, I try and, to be honest, stick outside of the press um, as much as I can. So I've actually seen the ads, but I know the story. All right, I know. Now, I obviously think, well, that's smart, good on them. But let's go, let's go right back to the beginning. What is the metaverse? Well, now, that's a big question, uh, but I'm going to try and make it easy for you. Uh, the metaverse is being coined uh, the new world for Web3 people, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's being regarded as the, the frontier uh, for technology, whereby we are heading into a world that's incredibly immersive with a digital physical experience that sort of enhances the prior experience uh, in Web 2.0. Right, okay. So um, what that really means is um, there's a bunch of people who have got this idea that we're heading into the new future and they're trying to lay claim to that. So okay. if you look at uh, Facebook... Uh, I actually think Facebook's a massive land grab mm. um, and uh, they're actually, you know, I, I don't have a huge amount of trust for uh, Zuckerberg, to be right. honest, or yeah. Zoid, Zoidberg as I like to call him. Um, I think he's, uh, he's uh, realised that his brand's a little bit on the nose mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's actually time to do something different yep. and so he's taken that opportunity to take a leap. Uh, and go and land grab the word meta, yep. um, and thus now Facebook kind of owns the metaverse. It's <laughs> pretty sharp, isn't it, really? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you know, the truth is is that you know, the true metaverse is actually a much more uh, community-driven uh, world that's not run by a multi-billionaire right. you know, web 2.0 entrepreneur. Right. And uh, the, the principles of the, of the metaverse and web 3 are built around community ownership community control ah. and about rethinking uh, how the world works and how we can uh, rebuild some of the institutions that um, keep us connected. So if Facebook was full bottle about their view on the metaverse, uh, they would be uh, publishing their roadmap about how they're going to create community ownership of Facebook um, to all the users yep. and would create... Uh, 
data sovereignty for all of those users uh, so that they could actually control the way in which they operate uh, in that space. I love that. Now, what I'm hoping, though, is if we all get ourselves into the metaverse, that we're still going to be able to use our imagination. Right? So it's not... Because what I, I suppose where I'm going is, is the metaverse going to just pirate my you know, imaginings or are, is it going to en- enable me just to sit back and just think about things that are awesome? Now... What we love to do in the Sayers podcast is give our guests just a little bit of sensory just to get them into the best place they can possibly be in. So just listen to the first sound I've got for you. And the next one. Uh, And then the next. And... And finally. So in order to have the very best of conversations, I just which of those five would you like to sort of transport us into into our audio verse? I'll take the fire. You take fire. And, and the reason for that is that it immediately took me to Bhutan. Oh, um, yeah. Where I, uh, I remember uh, in the late evening... Uh, on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas, uh, listening to a fire just like that and having these uh, Bhutanese guides uh, uh, singing music oh, uh, around, around, around the campfire. And it, was like, <laughs> it was like a special moment in time. Oh, so right. that, that's what that reminded me of. Okay, so let's get back to the metaverse. <laughs> All right. So here we are by a campfire in Bhutan yeah. and we're explaining to those around that campfire this notion that data, or the individual's data, needs to be theirs, which is what I presume you mean by data sovereignty. It's not, yes. it's not up to corporate X to make money out of who and what I am. It's mine, and I might lend it to you, or I might sell it to you. So that strikes me as a revolution. Yeah, and it's only just one element of a re- revolution when it comes to Web3. And I'm going to use Web3 as the broadest sort of uh, container, if you like, for the idea of the metaverse. So the metaverse is, for some people, this vision for a deeply immersive sort of virtual reality-like space where my house becomes transported into a digital environment where people can come and meet me there digitally with avatars and all that sort of thing, and that's kind of where Mark Zuckerberg has been heading. Yes. Uh, but actually, um, the metaverse is bigger than that. It's not just... Um, uh, there, there are other ways to look at it. It's, it's a space where... Uh, new things can be created uh, and new business models, new ideas. Um, you look at what's happening in the DeFi, uh, decentralised finance space at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, how that's rethinking the world of banking and how it, what happens when you have a distributed bank where you are the bank. Mm-hmm. You can lend money like a bank and you can borrow money um, as well. Uh, but you can do that in a transparent, open way with a community of people that have established a set of ideas and ideals for how that system's going to work. So when it comes back to data uh, and data ownership, um, I, best, I think the best way of thinking about this is everybody understands the idea of open source software. You know, this is, we've gone through that, that era um, over the last uh, you know, 30 years uh, where a bunch of coders have come together and actually created a, an application out of the goodness of their hearts. You know, mm. look, look at Wikipedia, yes. uh, for example. And uh, that community um, comes together with a sense of purpose and mission and vision for how that would work. 
and uh, and then they contribute without actually expecting anything in return. Um, what's different in the Web3 world is that uh, we've got these communities forming with, with sort of shared vision. Sometimes it's about creating an application, but sometimes it's actually about a community vision. So how could we create uh, the most uh, vital, vibrant community of creative uh, people who are content creators, they're artists, they're writers, they're journalists, and, and you, you've got the emergence of these things called the DAOs, which is a mm. D-A-O, DAO, the Decentralised Autonomous Organisation. D-A-O. D-A-O. And uh, if you look at uh, uh, these platforms like FWB, which means Friends with Benefits, mm-hmm. um, that's a community of creatives that uh, largely 20-something uh, years old. They've got um, what's called a social token, which is like a currency that is is native to that platform. And um, and currently their treasury, last time I looked, was around about 50 million US. Uh, so they've got some serious money behind them and they can use that money to fund projects within the community to create things. So rather than open source software being a space where um, everybody just does everything out of the goodness of their hearts, although right. that still does happen, there is actually a way now to actually economically... Um, so create almost create your own digital border. Yeah, you create your digital well, your hood, right? Like yeah. it's kind of like your, your your crew. Like this is, and, and don't don't underestimate the cultural side of what's mm. going on here. So, mm. uh, you know, some people might have heard of NFTs, non fungible tokens, and that's sort of a big fad for a lot of people at the moment off the back of the crypto space. What's actually really interesting about that is probably less the term, but actually the idea of what NFTs are doing. So. Mm. NFTs are like the killer app for crypto. They are a cultural revolution that's unfolding at the moment in front of us. And that cultural revolution is actually being created by rappers in the States, by you know, kids you know, um, in high school who are talking about the, the next cool thing that they can get uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the metaverse and in, in the NFT world. And uh, what's happening is is these uh, DAOs, decentralised autonomous organisations, these new ways of thinking around uh, data and data sovereignty, uh, these new ways of banking like decentralised finance and these new uh, sort of crypto assets, these NFTs, they've now found a way to actually um, apply value uh, to culture and they're becoming a cultural phenomenon where we're starting to see brands emerge out of this and whole clubs and communities. So think of... If you were like this, there's a lot of technology, a lot of terminology in what I just said. But if you didn't, if you if if you wanted to think of one thing, it would be that this Web three world is about community. Right. It's about people, and it's about how we how we work together, how we might reinvent the world. Together. So let me run a thought past you, which I, I suspect you had five years ago. <laughs> so I just got there a couple of weeks ago. So industrial revolution. Obviously, what happened was an enormous amount of wealth went into a very few hands. And then, as a, and the the worker was exploited, and as a result of the worker being exploited, they got a little bit annoyed and they started to aggregate, and in fact, of course, then turned themselves into unions. And then you can take it to an extreme, and there was revolutions. But let's just sort of stick to the West, right? Mm-hmm. So they created unions, and they said, "Hang on a second, you guys, we need to get balance here. We need to get corporate worker balance." So what I'm wondering is, is, is the notion of the data, my, my personal data is mine, that what might actually end up happening in order to get some power as an individual, I might create data unions 
And that's the way I get some form of balance between me and the individual that is expo- sorry, the corporates that are exploiting my data, or is that an idea that's already been and gone? Yeah, look, I think you're onto something here in the sense that um, there are projects out there that are fundamentally architected in a way that that protects and respects the user data uh, that runs through that that uh, uh, business model or that community, and um, and a lot of this is really philosophical, mm. right? So. The problem that consumers have had is that when they decided to subscribe to Facebook, nobody told them what Facebook really were going to do with their data. <laughs> and, and most of the time, they and not to get down too much on Facebook, because it happens on a lot of other, other platforms, and web 2.0 platforms. Um, and Facebook has actually delivered you know, some, some valuable um, uh, some you know, services, some utility. But, yeah. but the truth is, is that, that their ideas about how their product roadmap and how they would develop their business has been largely opaque. And, uh, and people are asking questions about it, understandably. Whereas with these new models um, in the Web3 world, uh, you, you have very transparent uh, philosophy and roadmap that underpins the whole idea of what it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. So those unions, if you like, might be more communities that you subscribe to because you, they share um, philosophical views and values that you, you can connect with. And so um, I think that's, that's more what, what, what we're going to see. And you're going to see more and more propositions where um, you know, things like Facebook are available to you but don't use your data in the same way that Facebook does. Got it. So um, a practical question. Yeah. So I'm a 26-year-old. I form a data hood. I'm in a data hood. Um, I'm, uh, I've got a DO, DAO. I um, am able to do all my banking within the one gang. Um, I'm using NFT as a form of valuing creativity. But then I want to go to the supermarket and buy my weekly shopping. If all I've been doing is hanging out in this digital hood, am I uh, actually able to translate the currency of that environment into the currency of the current environment? Yeah, well, we've got this really interesting dichotomy happening around us at the moment, and that is that you actually have almost like this privileged few who, who actually understand what's happening on the, on the blockchain, on the, in the crypto world, um, who, and many of them are profiting, you know... Astronomically. Astronomically, mm-hmm. uh, as a consequence of that. And, you know, I talk to a b- bunch of friends who aren't across this stuff and they kind of feel left behind, they feel confused. And I actually think that this is actually going to continue, you know, this, this is a problem. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I think it's brought into stark relief when you look at the challenges around banking and uh, banking in a, in a decentralised finance world uh, because the banks naturally are very concerned about, you know, one person might be able to get a, um, a percent on, on their deposit, if they're lucky, um, uh, on, uh, in a normal banking environment, but uh, they go on, on, on a DeFi environment, they might be able to get a 20% yield mm-hmm. you know, on their deposit. Now, banks are looking at that saying, hold on, as soon as this becomes... UX becomes easy and somebody can just jump on their web, their phone yep. and access that sort of utility, what does that mean to our value proposition? And, and so they're like pointing at this with the regulators and expecting action to be taken and regulators are being left behind. They're just not fast enough. You know, regulators could barely keep up with Web 2.0. Now... Well, yeah, they haven't really kept up well, with Web... Yeah. Then well, now, now they're trying to look at what they can do. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, this is like escape velocity, right? Like we're at a point where maybe this has just gone beyond them. 
Now, what and so the, I don't know. I don't know what that means. What the future is for that? What's uh, What does that mean for just sort of national borders? <laughs> well, you know, there are people out there that believe that uh, you know there, there there should be a global mm-hmm. citizenship. There should be a global currency. Yeah. You know, there should be a jo- a global um, you know bill of rights. There should be a global uh, you know access to human services. Although, what's interesting though about what you're discussing with regard to these sort of hoods, that that's that is the fundamental desire for like-minded people to get together and you know share the journey. One hundred percent. And 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 what's really interesting, like a lot of people talk about um, you know, Web three and crypto as being full of nefarious actors, and and it is. I mean, there's mm. plenty of crazy stuff that goes on uh, in, in in that in a very unregulated world. Um, but it also has uh, an attraction to a lot of people who uh, you know really see a possibility for a new type of future. And when you look at what's going on around us, it's understandable um, uh, to that people are looking for answers. They're looking yeah. for alternatives. They're yeah. wondering, you know, is it always going to be like as crazy yeah. as this? Is it always is it going to get worse? So there is there does appear to be an Achilles heel in the NFT world, and that is the sheer weight of energy that it burns. Yeah, good call. Yeah, and that that's true. Uh, you're going to find increasingly there are blockchain solutions that have a um, carbon neutral or um, you know, negative effect. And uh, so, for example, blockchains like Algorand uh, are fundamentally you know, addressing this issue. Right. Um, there are a bunch of projects that uh, uh, provide sustainability solutions. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's kind of like you know, communities go where they philosophically, uh, their, their values and, and philosophical views are, are upheld. It, w- it did absolutely fascinate me when I just discovered that there is that little... Because everything you read about NFTs and blockchain and the DAOs, as you first explained them to me a while ago now, going, oh, this is just all so awesome. And then there is this, you know, just this little sort of practical issue around just the sheer amount of energy that the stuff burns. Yeah, I mean, without getting too technical, the reality is is if you if you, if you have a, a record that needs to be replicated with thousands of, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of computers around the world mm. to keep it... Uh, Trustless, which is the idea of blockchain, mm. um, that is a very expensive energy proposition. Uh, there are a whole variety of new technologies, and don't underestimate the power of, of the creative uh, intelligence of this community mm. to overcome these issues. I'm sure. Um, and that's happening right now. Right. So let's talk about assisting businesses overcome their issues. Uh, when we first met, I liked you immediately, not, not really because of you, because of the name of your business. <laughs> I've gone... It's the name of your business is from here on, yeah. and I just uh, I warmed to the brand. If you like, I thought you know there's a cracking idea. So just just give us the story around from here on. Yeah, well, from here on is uh, what we do is we we're a transformation agency and uh, we help organisations reimagine their future, and then we essentially are like the architects of the execution of that journey. So. Mm-hmm. So we provide uh, all the stuff in the middle between strategy and execution, right? Like uh, we, we, we make sure that that is executable and we provide that partnership on the journey. And, and we have a very strong technical or technology capability because everything now, you know, tech, technology is the central nervous system right. of all major businesses. So we have a very strong uh, sort of technology capability within that. So when I had a bit of consulting time, I heard this thing, the middle office, is that is that your core audience? Yeah, I think I think our, our audience is C suite, like uh, where we would uh, w- visionary people mm-hmm. 
is is our buyer. Right. So, um, now organisations are always in change. They're always looking at ways to improve themselves. Some are going on ambitious change. Um, so we'd sort of divide them into sort of organisations that are seeking to modernise, which is a bit more incremental. Yep. Um, sort of execute the strategy kind of stuff. Um, and on the other side, we'd we talk about transformation, and transformation is by definition. You know, it means new thinking, new world, new ways of working, new technology. Often it's because they're trying to leapfrog the competition and actually take an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's because they're, um, th- there's just a, an opportunity in the market that uh, is incredibly compelling that they need to just mobilise at speed. Um, or they have a burning platform and they can just see that their, their business is, is uh, under enormous pressure from change and, and uh, disruption. Um, and uh, they're going to do something about it. So those, those are the conditions that t- typically drive work in our area. Okay, so some um, old-fashioned questions. Yes. How long have you been in business for? Uh, t- almost 20 years. How many people working with you? Uh, we have about 70 working with us at the moment. Uh, how many markets are you in? Uh, we are in uh, three... Uh, we're in the UK, US and Australia, but we work from those offices into a variety of different markets so um, a number of times uh, our clients will be global so we'll be doing work in Africa, Asia, uh, South America and uh, yeah so it's, it's quite versatile we sort of work from those bases and with what with with the recent change in how everybody works sort of going to a very hybrid or in some cases fully digital model that's really helped us to be able to sort of land that value proposition as a global provider as well. Give us um, again an old-fashioned question Give us a case study. Sure. Um, the one that uh, I mean, the, the, there are there are a few really special experiences that I've had, and I mentioned um, uh, often that I really uh, love working with with visionary people, and I also um, tend to develop strong friendships because you know you you get connected to the future, you know, to the to the vision, the ambition of those people. Uh, one that really stands out for me was in. UK where we supported British Telecom to go through their global transformation. Um, right. We, uh, you know, we're a little company really um, uh, that sort of punches above its weight and on the global stage. Um, but I, I see ourselves more like that boutique um, specialist architecture firm that does these amazing global projects, you know, that, uh, uh, that has a, a very high uh, capability to work uh, with complex global issues but isn't doesn't necessarily need thousands of people in the workforce to go and execute that. Right. So, are you, so are you more hit and run, or are you there for the long term? Uh, we're partners. So right. take the take the British Telecom example. Um, we had a very clear mandate there, and that was we needed to um, help them to transform the way that they work. So it was actually principally a cultural transformation, mm. even though it was in technology. Uh, so we invented a um, it was really a fusion of all of our experience over the over the sort of 15, sixteen years at that point. And uh, you know, it was a combination between agile ways of working, um, uh, co-design, and uh, sort of blending strategy, architecture, and a variety of other skill sets that you need to execute in these big businesses. But what was really um, compelling about it was that uh, not only uh, did we have a really great innovative um, methodology that we co-designed with the client, but we had a, a, a leader that was up for the challenge. And she was willing to literally... Um, wear the costume like we we came up with this theme about um uh an explorer an expedition we talked about all of these different um you know peaks we were going to summit and how we were going to go about doing that and and we brought you know hundreds and sometimes thousands of people together under this motif we had all posters we had events we had this experience where people felt like that they were going on a journey Mm. 
and actually going to do something different. And they could see the the the, the challenge. I mean, so many seventy percent of all transformations fail, you know, kind of outright. Um, British Telecom at the time were had had, had something like twenty transformation. Uh, initiatives over the previous two decades um, in different forms across their lines of business. Yep. And this was actually one, you know, it was regarded, it was said by one person in the, in the, in the executive team that uh, this was like, like transformations are usually kind of you know, sphincter tightening experiences where you've got, you know, um, these, these consultants coming in and cutting costs and, you know, restructuring and people losing yeah. their jobs and wondering what the hell is going to happen next. Yeah, yeah. transformation so, experience is actually not really a transformation experience. No, it's like it's no, it's a, it's a it, <laughs> yeah, it might, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's challenging. And, and they said, look, you, you, know, you guys came in and it was like a warm summer breeze, oh, yeah. right? Um, you know, it was just, uh, uh, just a different feeling, a different experience. And, and I think that that's really the key point here because, you know, over 20 years in, in business doing, you know, technology and business transformation, um, I got to say that there's a huge amount of apathy and cynicism out there, mate. Right. Like, like and people are just sick of like the same old stuff. Right. Exactly. Right? Like they've heard it all before, seen it all before. Um, but what was special about that that experience was that we managed to get that suspension of disbelief. We actually got people over the line to think, hold on, this actually could be different. And uh, you know, the person who delivered that um, is somebody I've got enormous respect for. She's now uh, head of technology globally at WPP, which is Rachel Hyam. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about it a lot in my in my storytelling, just because you know, there are a community of people who have been clients over the years that um, uh, have just just are amazing leaders, and they inspire me. Right. You know, and that's what it becomes a partnership, you know, um, you know, driven by inspiration. Okay, so from here on, what do you want to do with the tax system? <laughs> the tax system. <laughs> I think. Okay, uh, I'm going to. I would say the problem with the tax system is how we spend the money. Um, I think that uh, we are, um, you know, the, the politics is a is a tough business. It's not really attracting the best and brightest minds of our community. Um, there's some great people in there who do great stuff, but I tell you what, they're tough people who can handle a lot of heavy, you know, heavy ch- challenges mm. and for not much pay, and they can get paid a lot more in a, in a lot of other locations. Now, I think the problem with the tax system is that. Um, there's a there's actually uh, a problem with the entire system, which is uh, increasingly the haves and the have-nots. We've had a huge amount of money pump into the system uh, to respond to the um, situation we've we've all been experiencing for the last few years. What's happening there is asset inflation goes through the roof. All the house, houses are uh, un, you know unattainable for yep. people who weren't on board. Uh, we're getting this disparity between have, haves and have-nots. It's really similar, actually, in some respects to what I was talking about earlier, where this sort of um, dichotomy between the people who are sort of um, tech-savvy tech and are moving with the times yep. versus people are feeling left behind. I, I really feel that this is coming to a head mm-hmm. at some point in the coming mm-hmm. sort of five five years or so. And uh, so when it comes to the tax system, it's like, okay, well, well the tax system's about um, making sure there's enough money in the government to get jobs done. Um, but it would be great to see some, you know, cultural transformation in government in how we spend money some some transformation in, um, uh, in in creating a much more you know c- connected, aware, inclusive and and these are like some of these are kind of you know old old uh, you know tropes almost but but I I really do believe that um, we have a very divisive uh, we're in a very divisive time with a lot of people 
people using their alternative facts to cr- to create division, and uh, and society really needs to come back together, and we need people with vision and ideas that are actually going to bridge the gap between the has and the have-nots and the people who understand and the people who are seeking to understand. From here on, creativity will... Thrive. Creativity is the source. From here on, Australians' culture will... Mature. From here on, Victoria will... Bounce back. I can just see, like, 2022, um, there's so much pent-up energy. We've got, you know, people have saved a lot of money. They're ready to spend some cash. People want to go on holidays. We're going to see an influx of uh, uh, migrants and, and travellers back into the, into the state. We're going to see the arts come alive again. We're going to see everybody celebrate what, it's, what, it, what it means to be a human. So I, I think this next year is a year that um, is going to be one worth having. Many listeners will have teenage children. Um, if you are able to tell all those children what they should do right now for a <laughs> prosperous future, where would you point them? Um, I actually talk to my son about this a lot, my 14-year-old son, and uh, I, the, the, the one thing that I really keep on coming back to is, is, is asking him what puts the fire in his belly. Mm-hmm. Like finding the thing that you're passionate about and exploring things you don't know about. And, and that sort of curious, creative uh, uh, journey, that, that, that uh, journey of discovery... And then finding the point, the ignition point, where you go right. That's it. That's what I'm interested in. I think that that's what teenagers need to need to discover. I'm concerned that we, um, you know, we're continually sort of just pumping them through the production line of, of education to a very mm-hmm. uh, well trodden path of you know mortgages, cars, houses, kids, and and other other you know common results. But uh, I think that you know the future uh, is for the creatives is for the inventors, for the innovators. And I think we're moving into a time where everybody um, is, becomes an, a business owner, an entrepreneur. Everybody has an opportunity to design their life. Everybody should be thinking and spending time um, to um, imagine what uh, a great future is for themselves and how they're going to go about making that happen. So I think that's what it's about for kids, like teenagers. Find, ignite the passion. I love that. I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. We're just going to go back to Bhutan and we're just going <laughs> to... Uh, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Thanks, it's mate. been really, really energising. A, a, a very, very... Well, I learned a lot. You, you've, you've reminded me of a number of conversations as well that we've had over the last few months and you've given me a lot of conviction that um, there is an amazing technology future ahead that it's going to, I hope, fundamentally change a lot of the things that need to be, need to be attacked, addressed, uh, and I think you nailed a lot of it. So I really appreciate your time. I'm sure everyone that's listening has thoroughly enjoyed meeting you, Hugh. Good man. Thanks, Russ. Great to be here.